Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay. Hi there, and um, yes, these are interesting times that we live in, and um, times of great uh, turbulence, times of, in many cases, great suffering, and um, I was just thinking about it, um, that's sort of at the beginning of of the original lockdown last year, Uh, a friend of mine, Amman, told me that, um, I think it was around there, that they're going to be sort of, he's a risk analyst, and he said there were going to be sort of three phases to to this pandemic. And it uh, turns out it's it's been quite accurate. Uh, the first phase was the, the um, medical crisis that we faced with COVID-19, and, and now we're in the, in the third wave of, of that medical crisis. And a lot of people are suffering in terms of health um, and <clears throat> even people dying of having family members who are dying. And it's, it's really serious. And uh, not only that, but people are also suffering psychologically because of the isolation, because of anxiety, because of all kinds of things. Uh, not only physical uh, suffering, but mental and, and psychological suffering as well. Uh, so so that's, that's the first sort of step. And then that has led to economic hardship and job losses and all kinds of other problems. Many people have closed their businesses here in Gauteng, I know more than 50% of small businesses have already closed uh, and gone bankrupt. And, and that is quite serious. A lot of people lost jobs and uh, struggling with economic hardship. And now, recently, the, the third um, leg or phase of the crisis um, that Arman spoke of was social crisis. And, and we've seen that now with um, social unrest and uh, the terrible looting and destruction that has happened over the, this past week or so especially in KwaZulu-Natal and here in Joburg. Um, and, you know, we've got we to ask ourselves some questions about, about the situation. Um, you know, um, it, it's, I saw a picture the other day. Um, actually, Zahn showed it to me um, from, I think it was from Instagram, of a lady who was caught in a burning building. I think it was a building that looters had I don't think she was one of the looters. I don't think she would have taken a little baby who was in diapers with her to go and loot. So I, I imagine she was maybe a lady was working in a building and looters came and set the building alight and she fled to the roof of the building and you know couldn't escape and she had to throw, literally throw her little baby, and that's what the picture is, down to a group of people standing at the bottom uh, and... Um, Apparently, they did catch the baby, so, so at least there's, there's good news. But that, that picture just captures to me the, the tragedy of what it, we've been going through as a nation and how serious it is um, and how desperate uh, some people have become because of the situation. And you, you, we've got to ask ourselves, what, what do we do in such circumstances? How do we respond? Um, how, how should we respond? And, and then, of course, you know, difficult questions come up like, you know, why does God allow such suffering? And, uh, you know, a lot of people are asking for prophetic leadership. You know, you know we are Shofar. We're a prophetic movement. Our name, Shofar, is, you know, the Hebrew word for the um, ram's horn, which was blown as a trumpet in worship 
uh, but which, which was also blown to announce the changing of the seasons, re representing uh, the, the prophetic. Um, also blown to call up, you know, as, as a trumpet, to call up the, the armies of God to, to battle, to muster the armies for battle. And also used, uh, of course, as a, as a picture for the anointing oil to anoint kings and, and prophets and, and priests and stuff for, for um, service. You know, as leadership development. But that, that prophetic voice, the idea of being a prophetic voice is very important to us as shofar. So how, how do we as shofar, how can we be a prophetic voice? What, what, how can we take prophetic leadership? How can we um, be a voice for God and say, this is what the Lord is doing? Uh, or this is what the Lord wants to do in these times? And I believe the, the scripture that, um, that I'm going to be sharing from um, addresses those issues of suffering uh, and how to deal with it, um, and also specifically in the time of suffering, in this time of suffering, how should we respond, and how can we be, be a prophetic voice and take prophetic leadership um, in the church today. So um, let me read for you from 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 11. I'm reading from the NIV, and it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is uh, for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our suffering, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that or so that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf. For the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. And um, one, one thing, you know, some people when they talk about taking prophetic leadership or being a prophetic voice, um, many Christians think of, you know, some other great Christian leader standing up on a stage and saying, Thus saith the Lord, this is what we must do. This is what the Lord says. And... I believe that that is a very wrong idea of what prophetic leadership looks like because it, it's, you know, that old assumption that certain people, certain Christians are filled with the Holy Spirit and can hear from the Holy Spirit and others can't. And that is not what we as shofar believe. We as shofar believe that every member is a minister, that if you're a Christian, you must live the gospel, love the people, and obey the Spirit wherever you are. In other words, um, you must live the gospel and represent Christ. 
And remember what, um, what the essence of prophecy is. The, spirit, uh, the, the angel says to John, I think it's in the book of Revelation, he says, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, the essence of living a prophetic life is living the gospel. Um, loving the people. Loving people well. I mean, that's the essence of what Jesus did and what he commanded us to do. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then obey the Spirit. Obeying the Spirit in terms of being a, a voice through whom the Spirit can speak. And uh, a body, in a sense, through whom the Spirit can act uh, in this world that is so full of suffering. So, that's basically, I believe... How we can take prophetic leadership is by living the gospel, loving the people, and obeying the Spirit wherever we are. And, and this passage have, has amazing things to, to, for us to say, about, uh, to, say to us about, about this. Firstly, notice, you know, as we talk about living the gospel, that um, the gospel gives us the promise of suffering and comfort. We sp- speak about loving uh, people. Um, it, you know, this passage also talks about the purpose of suffering and comfort. You know, is that it's not for nothing. Um, and then uh, we talk about obeying the Spirit, and the Spirit, of course, being the power behind uh, suffering and comfort. So, let's start with the first one. Um, in a world that is fallen, of course, we should not be surprised that there is suffering. Uh, in a, in a world of that that is filled with sin, suffering is inevitable. In other words, suffering came into the world through sin. And, and, and many people, <laughs> I always laugh when, when I hear people asking this question, you know, if, if God is all good and is all powerful, in other words, he wants to deal with evil, which causes suffering, and he's able to deal with evil, which causes suffering, why doesn't he do it? Um, in other words, they, they would say the fact that God hasn't dealt with evil shows that he's either not all good or not all powerful or both. And I always laugh when I, when I hear people say this because the people saying this say it with the assumption. You know, they, they're sort of pointing the finger at God and say, God, you must deal with evil and the suffering that results from evil and sin. Um, and they say it with the assumption that they themselves are not evil. That if God deals with evil and suffering, he won't be dealing with them. But of course we know the reality is that if God judges all evil at, um, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, then by one minute past 8, there would be no one left in the world. God's challenge is how to destroy evil without destroying us. Because the line, like Solzhenitsyn says, between good and evil runs down the middle of every human heart. Evil is not a problem out there. For us as human beings, evil is a problem in here. And God's problem is that he hates sin, but he loves sinners. He hates evil, but he wants to save evildoers from the evil that is holding them captive. And how can he do that? And of course, the gospel gives the answer to that. So suffering is inevitable. Um, But I want you to think about the fact that comfort is not. In a world filled with sin, in a broken world, suffering is inevitable, but comfort is not. Just because someone suffers doesn't guarantee they will be comforted. But through the gospel, and that's what we're talking about here, the promise of suffering and comfort. Through the gospel, God guarantees 
on the one hand, unfortunately, that we will suffer, but on the other hand, that we will be comforted. And notice what it says. It speaks of God as the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. That if we live the gospel, if we believe the gospel, if we follow Jesus, yes, we will suffer in this world, this broken world of suffering. But God will comfort us in all of our troubles, all of our sufferings. That's one of the promises, the guarantees of the gospel. And I think that's a very precious uh, promise and guarantee. Uh, but that also means that we must, when we suffer, we need to press in to receive comfort from God. Um, I think it was Reinhard Bonker that said, just because soap uh, exists, you know, uh, doesn't mean there are no more dirty people in the world. You know, soap can clean you, but you've got to apply it to your body, you know. Um, and, and the gospel is there, but all the benefits of the gospel are not automatic. We need to receive them by faith. And so when we suffer, it's an opportunity to receive more of the gospel, to receive more of the benefits of the gospel. The, the, what what um, verse 11 calls the gracious favor granted us. And part of that is the comfort that God brings to us in our suffering. And in a sinful world, suffering can be great, as Paul's was. I, I mean, uh, when I read those, those verses, um, Paul says in verse 8, Do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of our lives. Uh, we, we, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. And, um, you know, so often we think as Christians, we're tempted to say, God will allow his people to suffer, but not beyond what they're able to bear. But here Paul says exactly that. He says God actually allowed us to, be, to suffer and to, to experience troubles that are beyond. In, in fact, he says far beyond our ability to endure. Um, so God does sometimes. And, and I mean, <laughs> he says far beyond our ability to endure. Later on in this letter in chapter, chapter 11, um, verse 23, he says, Are they servants of Christ? I am out of my mind to talk like this, but I am more. I have worked much harder. I've uh, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews uh, the 40 lashes minus one. And it was a beating of 39 lashes. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once uh, I was stoned. Uh, I've been uh, constantly on the, uh, sorry, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, uh, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Uh, and <laughs> in other words, here we're talking to, to someone to whom suffering is not theoretical. He's, he's gone through serious suffering. And he says, someone who's been stoned, shipwrecked, beaten, betrayed, says, we went through suffering that was far beyond our ability to endure. So how serious was that? That suffering. 
that they went through. And, and then you're going to ask yourself the question, why? And Paul answers that question. He says, so that we will not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And later on he says, um, you know, our hope is that God, not only has God delivered us, but he will continue to deliver us. And, and, and Paul says that that gospel hope has, um, or gospel comfort has, has sort of three legs. Number one, God has rescued us, even from deadly peril. Number two, God will continue to rescue us from deadly peril. And number three, even when God doesn't rescue us from deadly peril and we die, God raises the dead. And that is a great comfort. For Christian, death is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. It's only the end of the beginning. You shouldn't be able to threaten a Christian with death. Because by threatening a Christian with death, you're threatening them with heaven. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord, Paul says. And that is comfort. That is great comfort uh, to us. In other words, that suffering presses us deeper into faith and hope, into putting our faith and our confidence and our hope in God and not in ourselves. In other words, like we were speaking about last week and the week before, you know, not the gospel of the victory of man, but the gospel of the victory of God, even in the weakness of man. And uh, the gospel, through the gospel, suffering can have purpose. Suffering helps us experience the gospel. Most people, most of us actually are unable to respond positively to the gospel um, and to see our need for the gospel only by hearing about it. Most of us need to feel it through, by suffering. And if, in fact, if you're going to speak to people, many Christians, and ask them their, their testimony, they'll tell you it's at a time of great suffering that they were able to humble themselves and repent and turn to God. Whereas before that, they were unable to do that. Um, and here I just want to mention that um, you get people who believe a prosperity gospel that says the gospel is comfort only. Then you get people who believe in a poverty gospel that says the gospel is suffering only. But the true gospel that Paul presents here and that we believe in is suffering plus comfort. In other words, suffering that leads to comfort, gospel comfort. Comfort from, uh, received from God. Um, and, and Paul often represents the gospel like that. He talks about the gospel as um, the suffering of Christ followed by his glories. And we us sharing in the sufferings of Christ and, and the glories uh, that are to come. So true comfort, uh, the comfort of the gospel is found only on the other side of suffering. I mean, it's, it's quite obvious, but if you think about it, Comfort presupposes suffering. You can only be comforted of something that you've suffered. If you've, it's only if you've suffered that you can be comforted. So, so the gospel, suffering and comfort are inherent to what the gospel is. Um, and, and, and that's also because the reason for that is because the pattern that Jesus sets in the gospel for how he lived was exactly that. Suffering followed by comfort. In other words, Jesus who lived in heaven in you know, perfection where there's no suffering, entered into our suffering so that he could comfort us. That is the pattern of the gospel. That is how the gospel works. And that is why our lives look like that. Because we are supposed to live the gospel, live the pattern we see in Jesus' life of entering into suffering, but going through it into comfort so that we can comfort others. Um, and then notice that suffering allows us to experience 
more of the God behind the gospel. Uh, and, and this is very powerful to me and very comforting to me. Uh, it says, it, it refers to, in, in, in verse 3, Praise be to the God, the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so notice he's saying, God is both the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, he's the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. And, and, and that is really powerful. I wish I had more time to spend on that. But, I, but don't miss what, what Paul is saying here. He's saying that God is the God of all comfort. In other words, comfort is what God does. Comfort is what God does for us. He comforts us in all our troubles. Okay? Comfort is what he does for us. He, 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 he is kind. He's gentle. He's, he, with his healing hand, he holds us. He, he, he comforts us. Why does he do it? Well, notice firstly, okay, comfort is what it does. It says he's the God of all comfort. God as in all-powerful, almighty. In other words, he has the ability to give us all the comfort we need because he's God. But secondly, why he does it is because he's the father of compassion. In other words, like a father, he draws us into his family. He loves us as his children. He loves us as he loves Christ. And he's a father to us as he's a father with Christ. Because through the gospel, Christ didn't only come and enter our comfort, but he came to enter our suffering. But he entered our suffering so that he could die on the cross and his father could become our father. And he died on the cross and received no compassion from his father so that we can receive compassion from his father. That is the gospel. And I want you to see both God's power to give comfort in all of our troubles and his great love by which drives him to have compassion for us and to love us as his children. We need to understand what God does and why he does it, um, which stands behind the gospel. And if we want to live the gospel, we must ask ourselves not only what would Jesus do in a certain circumstances, now, we want to be a prophetic voice. We don't want to just get together like this in, in big groups or, you know, when lockdown is over, physically gather in big groups. But we also want to gather in small groups in different areas in our communities so that we can be prophetic, not only a prophetic voice, but a prophetic community there who lives the gospel in that community. And who each one of us needs to ask, what would Jesus do in this circumstance? But, but not only what would Jesus do, but what does Jesus want to do? You know, not just what would Jesus do as if I must do it because Jesus is absent. Because Jesus is not absent. Jesus is in us. Jesus is everywhere. Through his spirit, he's in us. Um, yes, and, and, and we can try and do what he can do. But Jesus can also do things that we cannot do. Okay? So what does Jesus want to do? And then praying for that um, to happen. And then we need to ask ourselves, living the gospel is not just asking those questions, but also how can we in both our suffering and our comfort point to Jesus? How, how does our suffering point to Jesus? In other words, how do we suffer differently from the world? But how does the comfort we receive in that suffering also point to Jesus when, when we are suffered far beyond what we are able to bear and God delivers us from it? How, do, how, how does our testimony of that, of both our suffering and our comfort, point towards Jesus and, and, and make others say, wow, if Jesus is that amazing to you, I also want to know him. I also want to follow him. I also want to serve him. Okay, so we must live the gospel. We must love the people. 
That's the purpose of suffering and comfort. Um, in other words, what Paul is saying here is that suffering and comfort are not ends in themselves. They're a means to an end. Um, he's saying the purpose of suffering is to receive comfort. And the, surface, the purpose of receiving comfort is to be able to, to become a comforter who comforts others with the comfort that you have received. In other words, your suffering and your comfort that you receive from God through the gospel is just a means to an end. But that means that we as Christians must have a certain approach to suffering and comfort. We must say, um, we must realize that the more we suffer, the more comfort we can receive and the more comfort we can therefore give. And, and therefore, comfort, uh, suffering is not as pointless to us as it is to so many people in the world. Um, many people in the world, in fact, I would say probably most people in the world, have as their highest value pain avoidance. Okay? That's what I want to do. I want to avoid pain in life. And they raise their children to become little pain avoiders as well. And the, the problem is, when you raise your children like that, they suffer. Because in this, by avoiding suffering... You avoid so many things that, in this broken world that are impossible without suffering. Um, think about it. I mean, we're getting vaccines. You know, you, you get a jab. Apparently, it's not that painful, but it's a bit painful. So, if you say, "I want to avoid that suffering of being pricked with a needle," then you're avoiding also the vaccine. Um, if you avoid discipline, you know, then you also avoid the growth that comes from discipline. If you avoid exercise, which Let's face it, it's a bit painful. <laughs> you also avoid the health and the strength that comes with that exercise. If you avoid the pain of disciplining yourself to sit down and learn, you also avoid the learning and uh, the competence that flows from it. So, avoiding pain is no way to live. In other words, avoiding pain and suffering, which is what most people try and do, is no way to live, and that's not the Christian way. But then there's also, of course, the opposite, and I'm sure there are few people who try and live like that, who who actually um, have the opposite. They massacres who, who seek out pain. Um, but the, the Bible doesn't want us to be massacres as well. So so we don't have to go and seek out suffering. But what the gospel tells us is that in a broken world, suffering is unavoidable, and when we cannot avoid suffering, we must embrace it, enter into it. I mean, so many people, and, and we see it, for instance, in the, the parable of um, the Good Samaritan uh, in, in the Gospel of Luke. Um, in this week, Neil was talking about that uh, and, and saying, um, you know, the, the, the priest and the Levite saw the suffering of the man lying there half dead after being beaten by bandits. And they went to the other side of the road and passed by. The Samaritan, who in, in, in that parable represents Jesus, and whom he tells us to emulate, sees the suffering of that man. He goes to the man. In other words, he enters into his suffering and he helps him in his suffering. And that is what the gospel tells us to do. In other words, to emulate Jesus. Because he says at the end of that parable, you go and do likewise, you know. Love your neighbor, you know. And then the guy asks him, you know, who is my neighbor? And then he tells this parable, you know, of the Good Samaritan. And he says at the end of that parable, you go and do likewise. In other words, go and love the people around you, the way that I've loved you. I see your suffering. 
I enter into your suffering. I go to you in your suffering. And I help you in your suffering. And that is how we should love people as well. You know, it's in a, the gospel tells us how to love people well. The pattern of the gospel shows us how to, to love people well. So comfort presupposes suffering. In other words, the more we suffer, the more comfort we can receive, and therefore the more comfort we can give. In other words, the most loving thing that you can do is to make the most of the sufferings that you suffer. In other words, don't just suffer, but go through the suffering. Obviously, that, that helps you to develop empathy. But receive comfort from God specifically so that you have so much more comfort to give to the people that you see suffering. Um, comfort, here's the thing. Comfort without suffering just makes us comfortable. But comfort that comes through suffering, Paul says, leads to patient endurance of that same suffering. In other words, in this world there's a lot of comfort which is just makes people comfortable. It doesn't, it's not gospel comfort that, that comes through suffering. Um, and that's not the kind of comfort we're talking about. The, the Greek word for comfort is uh, paraklesis, which actually means to, to, to encourage, to exhort, and to comfort. Um, and it's that healthy comfort that comes through suffering that doesn't make you complacent and comfortable. Does it, in other words, comfort here doesn't mean to put someone at ease. It means to encourage and strengthen someone. Uh, it's, it's that sense of the word comfort. So, love like Christ loved by entering into people's suffering and then comforting them. In other words, to love people well, we need to ask, okay, how can I enter into people's suffering? Not avoid people's suffering, you know, but how can I see it? How can I enter into it? And how can I help them in their suffering? In other words, in order to love people well, I need to suffer with them. Think about that for a moment. The only way you can love people well is to be willing to suffer with them. And the only, the best motive to be willing to suffer with people so that you can love them well is knowing that Christ was willing to suffer for you and with you in order to love you well. That was the gospel motivates us. So we must listen to people uh, in order to love them well. I mean, Paul talks here in verse 11 about um, you, as you help us, you know, uh, God will continue to deliver us as you help us with your prayers. Uh, and then he says, many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. In order to pray for someone, you have to, as it were, you have to listen to them. Paul says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced. You know? You need to know about our sufferings, then you need to be able to feel, have empathy with our sufferings, enter into our sufferings, so that you can then pray and help us through your prayers when you pray for us in, your, in, in our sufferings. Um, in other words, prayer is a form of entering into people's sufferings and comforting them by asking God to comfort them. And that's powerful. And that's a powerful thing that we can and should be doing now. I mean, for this last week, um, every day, almost every day, we've been praying between eight and nine. Uh, and it's been so special. It's been so powerful. And it's been so encouraging to see how God has answered our prayers, how, how the, the violence and the looting has dramatically dropped uh, since the church has uh, stood up and prayed. Because God hears our prayers, and, and our prayers, He uses our prayers to help others. 
you know, those that we're praying for. So we love people well by doing for them what Jesus did for us through the gospel and pointing them to Jesus for what we cannot do for them. And then in terms of obeying the Spirit, and I, I, I'm running out of time, so I'll, I'll, I'll go through this uh, quickly. Um, how was Jesus able to enter into our suffering and comfort us? And the answer is, of course, through the Spirit. And you might ask, oh, but anybody, <laughs> you know, I didn't see the word Spirit even once in this passage that you read. You know, where was it? Well, look carefully and you'll see it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ and it talks about the sufferings of Christ. Why specifically Christ? What does Christ mean? The word Christ means anointed king. Jesus is the anointed king. The king who is anointed by the Holy Spirit. Um, in other words, all the suffering and comforting Christ did on earth, he did by the, in, in the Spirit and by the Spirit. And Jesus said that same Spirit... I give to you. And that's why, by the way, the Spirit is called the Comforter. Um, in, in John chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, Jesus says, I'll ask the Father and He'll give you another helper. Some translations say Comforter. Uh, to be with you forever. This, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him and for He dwells with you and He will be in you. And, and the word there for helper or comforter is parakletos. Which, you, I mean, you can hear, it's, it's the same, from the same root as paraklesis, which means comfort. In other words, the Spirit is the comforter. He was Jesus' comforter. Now think about this. Um, Jesus entered into our suffering as the Christ, and the Spirit entered into it with Him, because He was anointed with the Spirit. And the Spirit of Christ led Christ into suffering, so he can lead him through it. I mean, like, for instance, he led Christ into the desert to be tempted by the devil, but he also empowered Christ to overcome that temptation, um, not only for himself, but also on our behalf. And likewise, he will lead us through suffering into comfort so that we can comfort others. Think about this for a moment. And, and this, is, this is really powerful. In other words, it's the spirit that empowers us to live the gospel and love people well. Okay? But think about this. The very same one who went with Christ through all of his sufferings will also go with you through all of your sufferings and comfort you in your sufferings. That is powerful. The, God did not give the most powerful person in the universe, in everything, so that you could just avoid suffering or get stuck in your suffering. But so that you can suffer with the sufferings of Christ. Be comforted with the comfort of the gospel in Christ. And comfort others with the comfort that you have received in your suffering. Um, so, what does the Spirit say? How do we take prophetic leadership? How do we be a prophetic voice wherever we are? Pray and ask God. Holy Spirit, what are you saying about the people around us? I, I, I remember um, speaking to a lady, a young lady, and, she, and um, it, it was just, you know, after service she came to me and asked for prayer, but she didn't, I didn't know, she wasn't actually a member and was her first time visiting the church. And I didn't know her um, from a bar of soap. But as I was praying, I just felt the Holy Spirit showing a few things about her, that she'd been through abuse that she's really been badly hurt. 
and I, I think it was through sexual abuse specifically, and I think I mentioned that, and that she, she hates men and is actually afraid of men. So, so all of that, a couple of very intimate and very sensitive things that the Holy Spirit showed me and that I prayed over, and, and, and then I prayed that God would bring healing for that. And she looked up at me when I was done praying, and she just, her eyes were big as saucers, and she said, how did you know these things? And I said to her, I don't know them, but the Holy Spirit knew them about you all along. The same Holy Spirit who led you to the service, he knows about it. He knows about your deepest hurts, and He wants to heal you. And that's why He led me to pray those things. And the Holy Spirit can do that. He can show us things about people and what He wants to do in the lives of people that are supernatural and amazing. And we should trust Him for that. And that's why we say we need to, you know, taking prophetic leadership looks like living the gospel, loving the people, and obeying the Spirit wherever you are. Because you we, together, are a prophetic community. You are the prophetic voice that God is sending into the community where you live, where you work, where you have, you know, spend your time and, with your friends and so on. So ask God, God, how must I live the gospel? How can I love people well? And how can I obey the Spirit wherever I am? Father God, we just come to you in Jesus' name and we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that that the gospel is such a robust message of suffering and comfort. And thank you, Lord, that it is so real. It, it deals with the realities of what we experience on a day-to-day basis. It deals with the realities of what we've been experiencing in South Africa, Lord, with, with, the, with COVID-19 and, and, and just a lot of people suffering and even dying because of it, with economic hardship and job losses, Lord, with, and the suffering that goes with that and with, with the social unrest and the looting and, Lord, the suffering that goes along with that. Thank you that, that your gospel can handle that and thank you that we as your church can be your hands and your feet, can be your body, your representatives here on earth who live the way you lived, who love people the way you love them and who obey the Spirit the way you Obey the Spirit. Please help us. Please give us the grace to do that well and to be a powerful prophetic voice, especially at this time of great suffering. Lord, I just pray your blessing over your people. May they experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.